We continue to look through the, the book of 1 Corinthians today, looking at chapter 3 for our sermon message. <clears throat> Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. The word of our Lord. With a theme like the one we have today, all is mine, you can't help thinking about a certain scene from The Lion King. Right? You've got Mufasa sitting on the edge of Pride Rock next to his son Simba, looking out over the Pride Lands. And Mufasa says, everything the light touches is our kingdom. And then he has to give the hard lesson that he's not going to be around forever. One day, Simba will be king. And so Simba says, so all this will be mine? Everything the light touches? Everything, says Mufasa. You're not sitting on the edge of an epic rock looking out over the African savanna. You're sitting in a movie theater reclining chair. But Paul is about to make an even grander claim to you than Mufasa did for Simba. Paul is claiming, all is yours. Seems too good to be true. All is yours. That's more than just everything the light touches. Paul says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. That's a bold claim. The world is mine? Death belongs to me? The present and the future all is mine? Can we believe Paul? Is it too good to be true? Should we believe him? Or is this kind of like when Jesus was tempted by Satan out in the wilderness? When, when the devil took Jesus to a different high mountain, a different kind of pride rock and 
and he, he looked out at the, the land and told Jesus, all this I will give to you if you bow down to me. And so, so Paul, where's the catch here? Is this some kind of trick? All is mine? Of course it's not a trick. And believe it or not, there's no catch either. All is yours. And there's four, four good reasons why that is true. All four reasons you can find right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So, let's backtrack. Let's see why Paul can claim all is yours and really mean it. The, the first reason sounds like something you kind of just got done singing. Jesus is your foundation, right? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. We just sang that. And Paul agrees. He says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if, if you've been here the past few weeks, if you've been listening to the, the past few messages in this series, then maybe you're, you're kind of thinking, okay, I think we've got this one down. Jesus is our foundation. Got it. Let's move on to the next thing. If that sounds simple to you, if it sounds repetitive, that's by design. We, we can't say or hear this enough that Jesus Christ is our foundation. You can't do a quick pass when laying a foundation. You got to take the time and get the foundation right. It's so important. If you get the foundation messed up or if it's wrong, well then nothing else is really going to work out. At least not for long, not, not for the long run. And it, it matters, the foundation being laid. Maybe you don't know anything about building stuff. I, I really don't. But I think most people know how important a foundation is to have a proper one, to have the right one. Paul certainly understood how important a good foundation is when it came to starting a church there in Corinth. He, he made sure that the, the Corinthians knew as a wise builder, he was going to lay the right foundation. So Paul, he had a special, unique grace from God to be an apostle, a leader of the church. And so Paul always made sure to get the foundation right. In every city he went to, he preached Christ crucified as the foundation. In chapter 2, we remember Paul saying, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And no matter how long Paul stayed in the city, even if he didn't stay long, he made sure to lay the right foundation. And then another, another pastor, another apostle would, would come in and continue that work of building up the church. And Paul, he tells these Corinthians to have some important caution as they do this. He says, to build with care. He makes it clear that they, they by no means should go looking for another spot to put another foundation. The foundation's already been laid. Paul preached Christ crucified. And 
no other doctrine was to be preached in Corinth unless it matched up with that base, the gospel message of Jesus and him crucified. I mean, think about how ridiculous it would be for builders to, to pour a slab for a house's foundation, but then build the house right next to the slab instead of on it. Stick to the foundation. Jesus, that's your starting point. That's the first way you can start to realize, you can claim all is mine. To have Jesus as your foundation, everything else is built off that. The second big reason proving that all is mine is found in verse 16. Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Catch what Paul's saying here? He's saying, y'all are the temple. And, and this isn't just me trying to prove that I'm leaving my northern boy roots behind. Y'all really is the perfect word to use here. Because this is you, plural. And that can get lost in English unless you use the word y'all. Or maybe it should be all y'all. I'm not sure I've totally figured out when to use that one yet. The point is, it's not that you as an individual are the temple of the Lord, but we, together, collectively, all y'all are the temple of the Lord, his church. And it's a bold statement. Y'all are the temple. This was an even bolder statement for Paul to make to the Corinthians in the year 55 AD. Because at this point, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. Paul announces an earth-shattering shift. No longer is it just the temple in Jerusalem where God's sacred, sacred presence can be found on earth. Now, he is dwelling directly with his people in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so even though the Romans just 15 years later, we're going to destroy, level the temple in Jerusalem. It didn't really matter because God's temple, his church, was his people. It still is his people. All y'all. And because you're part of God's temple, don't worry. God is ready to defend his temple, his church, his people, did you catch that? He's not messing around when it comes to this. He said, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. Take this as a compliment. As someone who's a, a brick in the building of God's church, as someone who's got the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you are sacred to God. You are holy in his sight. Once again, because you're built on that foundation of Christ's forgiveness, his holiness. That's your foundation. Therefore, you are the temple of God. And that means God's got your back. He's got his church's back. No matter what happens, we could just sing the church's one foundation again to prove that, to remind ourselves of that. 
Right? The church shall never perish with her dear Lord to defend, guide, sustain, and cherish her. Y'all are the temple. That's how highly God favors you. That's how fiercely he defends you. You mean so much to him. And I think we're getting a little closer to realizing how all is ours. The third bold statement proving all is mine. This one's a little harder to grasp, maybe. All is yours because you know how to become wise. You become wise by becoming a fool. And here's, here's Paul again with that upside-down thinking. He keeps bringing you back to this in the first chapters of Corinthians. You have to be a fool to become wise. It's so upside-down. Look to the foolishness of God instead of mankind's wisdom. Look to the foolish-sounding message of the cross instead of your own wisdom. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written here in Job, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. You see, if you, if you cling to worldly or personal wisdom, you might end up on the wrong side of God when he catches those who seem to be wise in their craftiness. And all I can think of in connection with this is the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote cartoon, right? Wiley Coyote, he always thinks he's got these foolproof plans to finally catch the Roadrunner. I mean, he pulls out his full arsenal. He's got cannons and rockets and magnets, boxing gloves attached to springs, even hypnosis once. For all Wiley Coyote's cleverness, it never works. All his efforts are futile. And in his craftiness, all his craftiness, it actually comes back to catch him. All his traps backfire. He's always the one that ends up falling off a cliff or getting burnt to a crisp. In the same way, if we think we can outmaneuver God or outreason his word, we're going to find all those attempts, they're futile. And beware ideas that seem reasonable or rational, but that end up contradicting scripture or contradicting the message of Christ. <clears throat> Some examples of this kind of craftiness. Maybe it could be something called textual criticism of the Bible. Something that's really catching on lately. The idea that the Bible, it's not reliable. It's not historical. It's not authentic. Going down that road leads to a very steep cliff with no Jesus to be found. Be careful. Or maybe thinking we can reason away heaven and hell because that sounds safer and easier. But one can ignore the afterlife only for so long before it becomes reality. Be careful. Or denying miracles. Maybe that sounds like a, a very rational thing for a scientific mind, but again, be careful. 
Denying miracles means discounting the most important miracle of all, Jesus rising from the dead. And rejecting that leads to some pretty severe consequences. The traps of human reason, they'll backfire. And maybe even if we're not falling into those bigger traps, it still becomes clear that turning away from our, our own wisdom and turning to God's foolish-sounding message of the cross, that is going to be an everyday struggle. Because as humans, we're pretty possessive of our own wisdom. We pretty easily become self-deluded. In other words, we, we're pretty, pretty quick to believe our own lies. Because it sounds like truth to our ears. We're okay with living in a world of our own making because it's more comfortable. It's easier than living in God's world, living by his rules. Becoming a fool in order to become wise probably means we're going to need some radical repentance. God calls for a 180 degree turn from human wisdom to his wisdom, to his cross, and the completely irrational, unreasonable love that God has for you there. Paul says, do not deceive yourself. If you think you are wise, by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. Don't deceive yourself. Don't, don't limit yourself with human wisdom. Don't cheat yourself out of something so much better. Be a fool for Christ. Being a fool for Christ is better by far. Remember your foundation for forgiveness and peace and hope. It's Jesus. Remember you're a brick in God's temple. You know how to become wise. You know Jesus plus nothing equals everything. All is yours. And the fourth big, bold statement today is going to nail all that home for you. We started off with Jesus as our foundation as the first point, and now we're coming back around to Jesus as our final point. All is yours because of whose you are. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Your tie to Christ could not be worded more strongly. This isn't even just saying you belong to Christ. No, stronger than that, you are of Christ. So wrapped up in him and God's love for you. And, and Jesus himself is God. So there's no doubt God loves you. All is yours because Christ is yours and you are his. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 8, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You can't say it any better than that. Just like you you can't say, I love you, any better than how Jesus said it on the cross. Jesus is the source, the middle, and the culmination of every good thing God is giving you. All is yours. Paul starts off reminding you, reminding all of us that God gives spiritual shepherds to guide you in your your faith journey through life. Paul reminds the Corinthians that he and Apollos and Cephas, Peter, they were all on the same team. All on the same team, building up the people of Corinth as the temple of God, building them on their foundation, Christ. All is yours. Even, Even the world and life itself, everything life throws your way. As as a Christian, you start to see all of it as it's something that can turn out for your good. (laughs) Because you've found faith in Jesus is the secret to life. That so many things can bash against us and sweep over us. But we've got a foundation. It's Jesus. And even the world with all its troubles and sorrows, it's been conquered. By Christ, Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Things present, the the everyday mercies and experiences God gives you, even those, they're things to be celebrated and enjoyed. The things to come in the future, they're all coming from the hand of your gracious God who orchestrates all things for your good, even if you can't see it really happening. And even death, even death is yours. Death is conquered. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is no longer your cruel master. Death is your servant, ushering you into eternal life, eternal victory. So that you can say, along with Paul, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. All is yours, because Jesus is your foundation, because y'all are the temple, because you know how to become wise. All is yours because of whose you are. All is yours. And that, that doesn't mean necessarily that you get to be a world ruler or do whatever you want. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll have riches and fame. No. God has bigger things in mind, more important things to give you people in your life who will plant and water the gospel in you to give you contentment no matter your station in life, to give you power even over death, to give you comfort in the present, hope for a future. (laughs) That's what it means to have everything. All is mine because Christ is mine and I am his. Amen.